the other day on how well I remembered uh, dates and events in the past. And the reason is because I journal a lot, almost every day. I write down the events of the day and I put dates on it. And I go back and reread it and pull out highlights and put them on a timeline so I can kind of see the history of my life. Uh, if you're interested, I started pastoring when I was 28 and uh, a few years ago. And um, when I was 40, I had several what I call defining moments. That is, events that totally changed my life and changed the, the, this church. And um, one of them was I went over to the coast for a, a, a prayer time with 63 pastors. I was over there four days, no agenda, just prayed four days straight. I'd never experienced anything like that. It impacted my life tremendously, in its sense, impacted our church, uh, that particular event. Uh, just about a year later, I got to go to Chile with Dr. Joe Aldridge, not Chile, Argentina, with Dr. Joe Aldridge, who was the one who spearheaded the prayer summit, and he and I connected, and so he invited me to go with him. And uh, the pastors of the largest churches in the world were all gathered for the purpose of studying talking about the connection between prayer and revival. And it was a fascinating time uh, as I was there listening to these various speakers and visiting some churches that were experiencing some revival back in those days. And then the next year, 1991, there was an invitation to go to Western Baptist Bible College, Corbin, and listen to some speakers. One of the speakers was a fellow named Joseph Sohn, T-S-O-N. Uh, you can pronounce it Sohn, Tone, any number of ways. His first name was Joseph, Joseph, and he was a pastor in Romania. And he had been severely uh, uh, mistreated, persecuted, beaten as a pastor. And uh, I remember being absolutely just totally um, I had never heard anybody talk the way he talked uh, they would beat him make him stand for hours and hours and hours with nothing to drink and, and they would electrocute him, shock him, pull fingernails out, do all kinds of awful things and then he would thank them and bless them and said you are giving me my greatest reward and he would be genuine as he would, at least that's the way it came across. And then they got tired of it. They'd say, okay, now we're going to kick you out of here. Don't preach Jesus. He'd go preach Jesus right on the sidewalk in front of the police station. They'd go out and grab him and torture him some more. And he'd go out and preach Jesus right on the sidewalk. And, and, uh, and finally they threatened to kill him. And he got all excited. Oh, great, you're going to give me my greatest reward. And they just couldn't handle it. So they kicked him out of the country instead and uh, exiled him. And I got to listen to him shortly after that. And he wasn't, uh, I think 91 is when the Soviet Union fell, and it was about 1990 uh, when I listened to him talk. And uh, I was just absolutely amazed at his teaching. And uh, he said something in that lecture that just had an amazing impact on my life. And I, I think about it all the time. And I got so, uh, somebody sent me, I talked to a pastor up at our uh, pastor's retreat in Seaside, Washington, Idaho, Oregon. There was about, I don't know, a couple hundred pastors there. We all get together and just talk and reminisce about the old times. And one of them made mention, he said, I just watched a video by this fellow named Joseph Sohn. 
I said, you did. He's amazing, isn't he? He said, I couldn't believe uh, the teaching he gave. And I said, uh, I'd like to see that. And so he sent me the link, and I watched it, and it reminded me of all that I'd heard when I did it before. And so this sermon tonight is um, uh, pretty much his. and Because uh, he was talking about the very same passage I'm talking about tonight. And um, so there's a principle in this, and I'm going to repeat over and over and over so we don't miss it. And I'll give it to you right up front. And he said it multiple times. The more I suffer quietly, the more people will come to Jesus because of me. And so he said, we became believers because of Jesus' suffering. And when we suffer, people come to Christ because of our suffering. Now, sometimes we'll be connected to it, sometimes we won't. But there's like this price to be paid for the salvation of souls, and it's those who suffer that are paying the price. But it's got to be the right kind. It can't be whining, complaining kind of suffering. It's got to be the, the suffering like Jesus did. So let's go through this passage tonight and see that. First Peter 3, 13 through 18, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. You are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an an account for the hope that is in you. Why would they ask you to give an account for the hope that is within you? Because they've just observed you suffering well, quietly. Keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ died for sins once for all. Now notice the connection between our suffering and Jesus' suffering. Christ died for sins once for all, all, uh, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit that he might bring us to God uh, through his suffering. So number one in your notes, think of a person who is spiritually lost in your life that you like, that you love a lot. How much would you pay for their salvation? Now, I can't purchase anybody's salvation. You can't either. But let's suppose God were to appear to us and he were to say to you, uh, would you pay this price for this person to get saved? And the price is uh, not money, uh, but it's costly in regards to experience, suffering, something that you would go through. How much would you pay? How much would you be willing to go through? Uh, how much pain would you be willing to experience if God said this will bring someone to, to eternal life instead of eternity in hell? And so the first person that came to my mind when I heard this back in 1991 was my dad. What would I pay for him to come to Christ? He came to Christ two weeks before he died, but that was just shortly before he did. What would I pay? Psalms 49, 8 through 9, for the redemption of his soul is costly to anybody's soul. Number two, would you be crucified? 
If that were the option, would you choose to be crucified? If someone guaranteed God would bring them to himself, they'd be born again and they'd live forever in heaven instead of hell if you chose to do that. Now that wouldn't be too bad because I would go to heaven. But how about this one? Number three, would you trade places with them and go to hell in their place? Now that price is forever. That's a pretty significant price. Would you switch places with someone that you know that's headed for hell, that's not a believer, and you would go to hell in their place? Paul in Romans 9 says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. That's a pretty strong statement that Paul's making. I myself would choose to be separated from Christ, accursed, if it would bring my brothers to Christ. Number four, you are blessed. That was the word that was used by Peter. You are blessed if you suffer unjustly, if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, if you suffer quietly. You're blessed if you suffer. And the question is, what's that mean, you're blessed? Does it mean that you'll get a good job? Yosef Sohn suggested that to be blessed by God in this context is to be used by God to bring someone to faith in Christ. To be blessed by God is to be used by God to bring someone to faith in Christ. Number five, what is the blessing specifically? Jesus will make us a successful fisher of men. It's not automatic, but he will bless our efforts and the things that we do as a witness for Jesus. Uh, And we'll look at those blessings, what those are specifically as we go about living our life. Let me read to you again 1 Peter 3. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. You're blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. It is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Yosef Sohn told a story about being beaten by this guard, tortured severely, and he's rejoicing, thanking him, blessing him, and the the guy stops and starts to weep and Joseph's own leads him to Christ right there. And uh, he goes out, witnesses, and he gets arrested, this guard, and he goes through the same torture that Joseph Stone did. But uh, he's drawn to Christ right while he's torturing him because of his response. 1 Peter 2.19, For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently do it. This finds favor with God. First Peter 4.13 But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. That's what Joseph Sohn did. Thank you, Jesus. Keep on rejoicing. 
so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Luke 6, 22, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. <laughs> I can just see Joseph's son doing that. For behold, your reward is great. For in the same way their fathers used to beat the prophets, treat the prophets. James 1, 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights. Among whom you appear as lights. First Peter 2.21, you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Christ suffered, were to suffer as he did, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. That's the suffer quietly part. But kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin, live to righteousness, for by his wounds you are healed. So notice the connection between salvation and suffering. Here's a quote from Joseph Sohn. Joseph viewed his suffering as God's means to accomplish God's purpose. He told of guards coming to Christ while beating him, then confessing their faith and being imprisoned and tormented, tortured themselves. As a result of the gospel, his persecution, uh, gospel his persecutors tried to dismiss touch them instead Luke nine twenty three, and he was saying to them all if anyone wishes to come after me he must deny himself take up his cross daily take up his cross daily the cross represents uh, suffering follow me whoever wishes to save his life will lose it whoever wishes to whoever loses his life for my sake he is the one who will save it uh, Joseph's own said, when I got all excited when the guards said they were going to kill me and said, oh, thank you, you're going to give me my greatest reward and they then decided they weren't going to kill him. He said, it reminded me of that verse. Whoever loses his life for his sake will gain it. Six, why would someone come up and ask us why we have hope? What would motivate someone to walk up and say, share it with me. What's in you? What gives you what you have? And the answer, because we have suffered quietly and we're blessed by God and he is the one that prompts and causes that to happen. Number eight, as a Christian, each of us has a calling from God to be a witness for Jesus. We're an ambassador for him. That's what he has said for us to do, is to witness for him, to be an ambassador for him. Uh, the average Christian rarely, if ever, chooses to be a witness proactively for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation, that's the gospel. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, 
as though God were making an appeal through us. God making an appeal through us, speaking through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Number nine, God gives open doors, divine appointments, opportunities with people who are ready and even anxious to become followers of Jesus. <clears throat> so you heard me tell this principle before. Really hard to lead someone to Jesus who doesn't want to be led to Jesus. I used to sell knives as a job in college. You know how many set of knives I sold? None. I never found anybody who wanted any knives. Hard to sell knives to somebody who doesn't want knives. Then I went to vacuum cleaners. Same success. Couldn't find anybody who wanted a vacuum cleaner. It's hard to sell vacuum cleaners to people who don't want a vacuum cleaner. It's hard to sell Jesus to people who don't want Jesus. And so the Spirit of God works in people, convicts, removes blinders, draws, and there is, they are what uh, people who uh, faithfully witness call ripe. It's like you get ready to pick an apple on the tree. You don't pick a green one. You pick one that's ripe. And there are people who are ready. They're ripe. They're anxious. They want. They're thirsty. And God's going to bring those individuals into somebody's life. And um, it'd be kind of cool if he did it for you, wouldn't it? Do you know the ultimate open door opportunity in the book of Acts? Acts eight twenty six. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Now that's what you call a divine appointment. Sometimes Gene will call me. Pastor D, you, you missed an appointment. There's somebody waiting for you at your office. Ooh, ooh, I'll be there in five minutes. Tell them, don't run off. I'll be there. So Jean's not an angel, but uh, she does remind me. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. What would you do if an angel told you to go someplace? So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a, a court official of Candace, a, a, a queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Now, I have never got that kind of instruction on witnessing to somebody. The Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And you know the rest of the story? He became a believer in Christ, was baptized that very hour. Now, how can you go wrong as a witness when an angel comes up and says, hey, go there. And when you get there, he tells you, what to do. You, you can't hardly go wrong with that one. Uh, that's what you call a divine appointment. And God does that. There's lots of examples in the Bible of circumstances where God brings people together. He did it with Paul often. Number 10, who does God give these open doors to? Is it this sort of a big roulette wheel in the sky? Maybe your name will come up. Maybe it won't. Those who suffer quietly. Those who pay the price. Number 12, God gives us the desire, the desire to reach lost people. 
Apathy is most Christians' biggest barrier to doing something eternal for God. We just don't care enough to do much, to say much, to risk embarrassment. Um, And so that lukewarmness, that apathy is what keeps us useless for God. And the fact is that that fire comes to us from the Holy Spirit working in us. Joseph Sohn again, When I see so many people lost and separated from God, my heart aches for them because I know the feeling. My stomach sinks as I consider that those who are spiritually lost have no idea of the perilous state they are in. It ignites a fire in my soul that I believe motivates me in my calling in Christian ministry. And... uh It would be nice if that would be the case of every person in JBC. Is that a fire gets ignited in me. Drives me. 13. Who does God give the desire to reach lost people to? Who does God start fire in? Those who suffer quietly. 15. God gives wisdom. So that we say just the right words to lost people. Not too much. Not too little. Not too stupid. I've um, kind of been around people who are sharing with unbelievers and my thought is I'm thinking that maybe it would be better if they didn't say anything because what they're saying is stupid not very accurate, not very good but God will guide and direct Jeremiah, here's a statement that's made and it's made all through the Bible various prophets and various leaders Alas, Lord God, I, I, don't, I don't know how to speak. I'm a, just a kid. The Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. Gave him courage and gave him the words to speak. Matthew 10, 18, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit. it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. 16, who does God give wisdom to when they are talking to a lost person attempting to communicate the gospel to them? Who does he give wisdom to? You know the answer, don't you? 17, those who suffer quietly. So, if you were to go through the Bible, I was just reading in Numbers about the nation of Israel coming up to the promised land and the number of times they grumbled about what God was doing. They grumbled about no meat. They grumbled about this. They grumbled about... And it often resulted in thousands of people getting killed by God as punishment. And then all over again, and all over again, and all over again. They didn't go into the promised land because of the grumbling. Um, You've got it all through the epistles, all through the gospels. Rejoice always. Grumble about nothing. Complain about nothing. Um, And often what we don't have is a motivation. So why shouldn't I grumble? Just because I'm not supposed to? Well, there's two reasons. 
One is when you don't, you grow. Your character changes, James chapter 1. Second reason is when you don't, then God blesses you. Blesses you. Doesn't bless you with a, a cool life. Doesn't bless you with lots of steelhead or with extra money. He blesses you with open doors, opportunities. He blesses you with wisdom to say the right words. He blesses you with passion and desire. He blesses you in such a way that you become a person that effectively influences people to Jesus. That's a great blessing. And it's uh, how much would I pay to be blessed so that I could be used, so that many people would be influenced and drawn to Christ because of my life. People would see me, would ask me, what's the deal with you anyway? And all I would have to do is give an answer what I believe And uh, so we don't have to be arrested and beaten with whips. We just have to live life. Because it's a pretty regular part of life. Trials, pressures, disappointments, frustrations. And so motive is what drives us to do the right thing. If we understand motive. And when I think about the fact that, God, if you bring a trial into my life... I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to rejoice. I'm not going to fuss because I want you to bless me so that I can influence people who don't know Jesus who are headed for hell. Um, I didn't know when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's that I really probably wouldn't be that bad. Uh, in the sense of it's been 10 years and I still get along pretty good. I limp a little bit and, and uh, have a few aches and pains, but it's not been. But I, when I was diagnosed with it, I thought, this is my chance. I'm going to do this right because I want God to bless me. I want him to use me. I want people to come to Christ because of me. And so we can anticipate, I mean, some of you are getting up there pretty old, and uh, trials tend to accelerate as we get older. And Anticipate when they come and decide ahead of time. Choose that you're going to do it right. Suffer like Jesus did. uh, With dignity, with strength, with confidence, with joy. uh, And not feeling like you're being picked on by God or that he doesn't love you or that life is bad. But this is the way it's supposed to be. And God uses people uh, that first pick up their cross daily. Those are the ones he uses. Those are the ones he provides opportunities for. Those are the ones he gives boldness to. Those are the ones he gives wisdom to. He uses them as an instrument of righteousness in his hands to reach people with the gospel. And um, I've not gotten to the point where I say, Lord, I'm feeling a little bit cheated here. How about bringing a trial into my life? I've not gotten to that point. (laughs) But... Uh, Sometimes I think uh, probably I should. I've not got a lot of years left. I'd like to do more. And that seems to be the price tag that's attached to being used by God. Um, Is it picking up the cross daily, being willing to suffer uh, with uh, strength, with uh, dignity, with courage. And then God says, I'll bless you. I'll bless you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our salvation. I thank you that we get to be your instruments of righteousness. We get to be your tools, your ambassadors.
You don't have a, a, a second plan. It's us or nothing in regards to the good news. You said in your word, how can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach without being sent? And we have been sent. We've been commissioned by you. Your spirit indwells us to give us the strength. But there's some conditions we need to meet. And there's a significant one, Lord, of just facing life with um, confidence and courage because we know you are in charge and you're the one that brings things about in our life. And you're looking for those who operate and live like Jesus. And then, Lord, there will be some cool things happen. People's lives will be impacted and changed. And... um, just thank you for people like Joseph Sohn who lived that life fearlessly and you use them in phenomenal ways because of that. Use us, each one of us, for your glory to bring many people to Jesus in the days ahead. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.